Well, welcome to Susquehanna Valley Church, man. This is incredible. I've been looking forward to this for a while. All week long, we've been checking the weather, and, and man, God has answered some prayers. I don't know if you were praying. Uh, staff was praying like crazy. Before I get any further, I need to say that if you're a kid and your parents want to lose you for the next like 25, 30 minutes, head over to Miss Rachel, and we've got Kids Church around the corner there. So, yeah, head on over that way and, uh, and have a great time over there. I'm excited for them to finally get a chance to be together. Uh, we'll keep them somewhat distant over there and, and get them a chance to be able to hear God's Word together. Now, if you're like a big kid at heart and you're still out here, um, yeah, that's K through 6, by the way. I'm supposed to tell you that. Um, if you're a big kid and you're stuck here and you're the type of person that a bubble can't float past you in the parking lot without you reaching up and popping it, like, you, I get it. I, you're my people, um, and I just want you to know that when the kids left, they left a whole lot of sidewalk chalk behind, and so feel free to draw whatever you want, and I might even give like a, a nice little prize for the best drawing, uh, but staff, you cannot win. Staff, you have to pay attention. Sorry. That's just how it works. No, we are so excited to have you out here. Look, this is, this is cool to me because... Um, uh, as a preaching team, so preaching team at Susquehanna Valley Church is, is Jeff Wills, who preached last week. It's Eric Hone, uh, who preached a couple of weeks ago. It's Connor, who you saw a little bit ago. Uh, we, we, we try to pray and ask God to guide us where we're going to go and what we're going to talk about. Uh, we had a meeting not too long ago where Eric and Connor and I were looking at some of the different things that we're going to preach on. Um, and we, we treat that as a very spiritual time where we're looking and saying, God, we're going to lay out messages for the next eight months. And we're going to plan it out so we can be praying for these messages and we can, we can be studying in advance for these messages. And one thing that we take very seriously is because we feel that's a spiritual time, when we land on a message for a Sunday, we land on it. Like, that's it. And I was, I was thinking as I was prepping for this message, I was like, you know, we're going to have the outdoor service. We're going to do that on August 16th. And God, what, are we, what, did, we, what did we land on? Like, what did you five months ago have us arrive at so that we could preach on this Sunday before we even knew that this was an outdoor service, before we even knew COVID was a thing? What did you arrive at? And, and I'm looking, I open up to Romans 12, where we're talking about the unity of the body of Christ gathering together. I mean, how cool is our God, right? How cool is that? Now, I, I got chills up here standing thinking about the fact that God has worked ahead of time like that. I love it. So let's, let's just dig right into the scriptures. We're going to read one and two. We'll talk about them a little bit, and then we're going to focus on three through eight, because we're talking about this idea of where do you find your fit in life. We've been using this analogy as if life is a puzzle, and where do you find your fit? Where do you belong? Where do you feel the most loved, the most valued, the most needed? Romans 12, let's check it out. Verse one. It says, therefore, I, or, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. God, I pray right now that through your spirit, we would gain a sense of belonging to one another. God, that we would understand that your sacrifice has made it possible for us to join together and worship you. I love you. I praise you. I ask that you teach us today. In your name we pray. Amen. So Romans 12, what I love about Romans 12 is you've got to understand where it comes in the line of the book of Romans. 
In the book of Romans, what he does is, is Paul makes this argument that God is incredible, that his glory in chapter 1, his glory is endless. Us, on the other hand, we're broken through sin. And then he walks through this path of how God redeems us, how God chooses us, how God loves us, how God forgives us. And then you keep going throughout the book of Romans and you see this argument turn to the fact that God is so incredible because of what he's done. In Romans 11, it just, it kind of reaches this pinnacle where they start singing and praising God. How incredible is your mercy? How beautiful is your majesty? And then you get to Romans 12. And Romans 12 is a transition from based on this story that we find ourselves in. Based on this truth of how incredible God is and how wrecked we were and how much God loves us. And he brings us to a place where we can have life forever through Jesus Christ. He goes, therefore, I urge you. That this would not just be something that you see. That is not something that you're simply aware of, but this becomes a view that you have that changes life. He says, I urge you to present yourselves as a worship, as a sacrifice to God. And if you are familiar with the Bible, the Old Testament is founded on this idea of sacrifices and animal sacrifices. And what they would do is they would take a dead animal and they put it on the altar as a sacrifice to God. They would take its life and put it on there. And Paul, in just this amazing twist of how the Old Testament had presented itself the whole way, he goes, you go up on the sacrifice, you go up on the altar, not as something that was dead, but as something that's alive. That your very life becomes a living, breathing sacrifice to Jesus Christ. Now, I, I love that because I think that's foundational for what we're talking about, this idea of having a fit, Having a fit and finding where you belong, it, it starts there. It starts in your relationship to Jesus Christ. And you saying, God, I'm so convinced of what you've done that I don't want this to be theory. I don't want this to just be nice. I want this to be real. I want to live and I want to walk after you in life. So, so a couple weeks ago, we preached a sermon on um, that where, what you do is not nearly as important as who you do it for. That what you do is not nearly as important as who you do it for. And then we came back the next week and we were like, what story are you building with your life? Now, we want to keep with that puzzle idea this morning. And, and I want to ask you guys, when you think of building a puzzle, what is the very first piece that you look to build off of? Where do you start? Do you just find some random one that just is in the middle with all crooked edges and, and that's going to be your building block? No. Uh, if you do that, you, you're just weird. I don't know what's wrong with you, but don't do that. The first piece that you're looking for is probably going to be an edge piece, right? Because it gives you a starting place. And even better, if you can find the corner, if you can find the corner, that's step one. Because what it does is it gives you the framework where now you're building off of something. You're building to the middle. And what Paul is going to talk about in Romans 12 is he sets up kind of the edges, the framework of this puzzle, that the edges are the way that we love and treat one another with humility and kindness and grace and mercy. That the edges, the framework, is unity. What's been fascinating is if you study all the spiritual gifts ideas in Scripture, you, you read all the passages, every church that got this wrong, and there were a lot of them, every church that got this wrong didn't have a framework of unity where they operated in. It was more about the individual than it was about the corporate body. And so what Paul's going to do in Romans 12 is he's broken out into this song in Romans 11. And then in Romans 12, he goes, I urge you in view of the mercy that gave you life and not death. 
Present your bodies a, a living sacrifice. This is God's desire. And then he talks about what God's desire is in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the other. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is to give, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Man, I, I love this because here's the thing. I've made it an effort to try to talk to and get to know as many of you as I can over the past two and a half years. And one of the questions that I love to know and find out the answer to is uh, in your walk in life, like you got to church, you've got to Susquehanna Valley Church, but where did you come to meet Jesus Christ? Like, where did you get to know him? Where, did, where was that place where you understood that you were broken, you had sinned, that you were wrong, and you needed a Savior, and his name was Jesus? What was that moment for you? As I've talked to different people here, some of you that's been at this church, some of you it's been at another church or at a camp, some of you it's been in another country. I talked to one guy who found Jesus Christ in a car upside down on the side of the road when he wrecked. Some of you it's been on the beach I love it because think about this. Like we sit here and those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he found you somewhere. It was different. It was unique to you. And now in the body of Christ, what he's done is, is he's taken all this different and brought it together in unity. He's taken your different background, your different ethnicity, your different the way that you were raised. He's taken your different financial places, different strengths, different weaknesses. And he brings them all together in the body of Christ. And, and I love it because he, here's the thing. God is going to take these pieces and fit them together. But, but there's one great challenge to all this. One great challenge. That if we don't have uniformity, if we're not all the same, if we didn't all have the same background and we didn't all have the same upbringing and we didn't all have the same journey to find him, if we don't have uniformity, unity will always be a challenge. If we don't have uniformity, unity will always be a challenge. The very thing that makes God's work diverse and beautiful by bringing us all together with all these differences to bring it to the praise of him is also the same thing that makes it incredibly challenging. If you don't have uniformity, unity is always challenging. And the challenge is for us to look at Romans 12 where Paul is going, look, 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 this is what God did. It's worth you praising him for. Praise him with your life. You know how you praise him with your life? With all the diversity, you come together in unity, even if it's difficult. Let me ask you a question. If you were going to try to find a photo that was to depict what unity represented, like if you're going to say, hey, this is my, I'm going to put this on the wall so that whenever we looked at it, we would under, we'd look at that and we'd feel unity. What would that, what would that photo be? 
May it be a bunch of people holding hands? Would it be, you know, just the word unity? Would it, I, I don't know. What would it be? I, I guarantee you, if you Google it, it would probably be something very flowery and, you know, a bunch of people who looked a little bit different. I, I look, here's the thing. I, this, is, this is my photo. If I was going to pick a photo to represent unity, I go back to the 1920s and I get a group of guys coming off the shift working down in the mines who are carrying a sledgehammer, who are carrying a shovel, who are carrying a pickaxe. And they say, hey guys, put your arms on each other's shoulders. And their faces are all dirty. And I'd say, smile for a picture. That would be unity. You know why? Because the more I understand the unity, the longer that I'm in the church, I understand that unity is hard work. That unity is a challenge. Because we have different ways of doing things. Even just the pandemic, we have different ways of handling it. Unity is always difficult because we're not uniform, but that's what makes it incredible. That's what makes it beautiful. The fact that we can say, despite our differences, we respect each other, we can disagree in grace, and still join together and love God. That's, that's man, if, if unity were a photo, it'd be a photo that showed a bunch of hard work. A bunch of people who were tired and exhausted because they worked hard to get what God wanted. They got the end result of a bunch of people working together because unity, and here's the other thing, unity also always breaks down. There's always little things that show up that want to interrupt unity, that want to cause it to stop working. And Paul knows, Paul knows this, that if we can't keep fighting for this, we won't find our fit. We won't find that puzzle piece. We won't find where we belong. I mean, this is true in a family. It's true in a marriage. It's true at your job. If you don't keep fighting for unity, you'll never quite fit. If you get lazy in forgiveness, if you get lazy and, and use harsh words and, and don't take the extra second to speak kindly to somebody else, unity becomes incredibly difficult and it wants to break down. So what Paul does is he gives us, I, I, I'm going to steal two of his thoughts that I think are, are going to challenge us to be a church that moves forward as one. First of all, if, if you want to belong you have to see yourself as one to serve, not one to be served. If, you, if you're going to belong, you need to see yourself as one to serve, not as one to be served. We are raised in an American culture that is consumer-driven. Every time you walk into a store or a restaurant or you go to a website, every time you, you, you go somewhere new where you're considering buying something, you're asking yourself a question over and over again. I promise that you subconsciously ask yourself this question again and again and again. Here's the question. Am I getting what I want here? Am I getting what I want? At this store, am I getting what I want? At this restaurant, am I getting the experience, the ambiance that I want? Am I getting the food that I want? If I go and look at a car, am I getting what I want? You are, you are just again and again bombarded with this question of, am I getting what I want? And what we have to understand is that that desire always wants to creep into the body of Christ, where we look at it from the perspective of, am I being served as opposed to, am I serving? The question of, am I getting what I want, does not fit in the body of Christ. It's not about that. Where pride has always had devastating influence in the church. And so Paul writes to the church in Rome. He writes to the church in Ephesus. He writes to the church in Philippians. He writes to the church in, in Romans. And he has the same message again and again and again. This isn't about you getting what you want. Look, our unity is not because we all happen to like the same thing. 
Our unity is because there's a Savior who shed his blood and had his body broken for us. We're going to take communion at the end of the service because that's what unites us. It's not the fact that we all get what we want. It's the fact that there's a God who gave us what we need. And so what Paul's saying is that pride and, and the entitlement that it can create will never be what make you fit. Pride and the entitlement it creates will never be what make you fit. Rather, humility is. He says, think of yourself with sober judgment. I love the way A.J. Denny talks about this. He's a theologian, and he says, it's so, it's so simple but so accurate. And I read this, and I'm like, that's the story of my greatest struggles. He says this to himself. Every person is, in a sense, the most important person in the world. And it always needs much grace to see what other people are. Man, that, that just blew me away. To himself, to herself, every person is the most important person in the world. And it always takes much grace to see other people for what they are. See, your fit isn't measured about how important you are. Your fit is measured by, by based on how humbly you serve. I, I love it because here's what Paul says. It's really this right perspective of yourself. Don't think of yourself too highly. You're important. God gave you grace. He gave you a role in the church. But, but don't think of yourself too highly, he says. And here, here's kind of what Paul's playing with is this idea where he wants you to understand how incredibly loved you are by God, how special you are that he gave you an ability. He made you uniquely great in a way to love him and love other people. That's unique to you. And that's incredible. That's important. But then he goes, but don't think of yourself too highly. You might. You might think of yourself too importantly. And here's the key. Here's the key to understanding Romans 12, 3 through 8. I love that there's bubbles moving through here right now. It's awesome. If you pop one, you get extra credit this morning. Here's what Paul's going in Romans 12, 3 through 8. Is the very thing which makes you important is also that which should keep you humble. The very thing that makes you important is also that which should keep you humble. He's going, you are chosen by God. That makes you important. You are loved by God. That makes you important. You are gifted and designed uniquely in a way to love God and love people the way that he made you. That makes you important. But that should also be what makes you humble because you've been designed uniquely by God. You've been gifted by God. You've been loved by God. You've been chosen by God. That he is the one behind it all. And so, so what Paul is doing is he's coming along and he's saying that you would think of yourself with a sobriety. Now, in the Roman culture, this is huge. In the Roman culture, to, to, to have the greatest social error was to misjudge how important you were. In the, first, in the first century, the Roman culture, if you thought you were better than you were and everybody was laughing at you behind your back, that was like the greatest faux pas socially that you could commit. I mean, this is, this is, we're talking about that American Idol moment where nobody told you that you were a bad singer your whole life. And then, you, like, they let you think it, and then you go on the trials, and they let you pass the trials because you're just really bad. And then you go on the show, and now you're on nationwide television, and nobody has ever once told you that you just can't sing. And then you sing in front of everybody. And they're like, wait a second. 
that guy's not any good. Paul goes, that, that's how he wants you to think of yourself. Not as disproportionately, but as accurately as possible. That you understand you are who you are. You are special. You are uniquely designed by God to love people in a way that nobody else can. But God did that through you, and God does that through you. I, I remember I had a moment like this, and it was third grade track and field. I remember third grade track and field. Um, I, I, we had the softball throw. I was pretty confident in that. But then there was, there was the race. There was the 50-meter dash. And I remember the 50-meter dash because I traditionally, in second and first grade, had never won. But this year, for some reason, I think it was because there was a little girl named Melanie who was talking about how she was faster than me. And I went out, I made a statement, I'm going to win this race. I'm going to win. I'm the fastest kid in third grade. And Melanie, you are going to eat your words because I will be faster than you. And I remember we're lining up and, and, and we, we, you know, we're waiting there and everybody, we got the starting line and you got the, the, this was back when you could use the starter pistol. Like they have one of those there. And, and so you got the starter pistol guy and, and we're, there's like 15 of us. We're all lined up and he shoots it off and we start running. I have never felt the wind blow through my hair ever before like I did that day. I didn't have a beard then, but I still could feel it. And it, it just, I remember running and just, I was, everybody was in my dust. It wasn't even close. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I won the 50 meter dash at Hamilton Elementary School for the third grade, and it wasn't even close. And I get done, and I was going to soak this moment in. And I'm like, this is incredible. And I turn around and I look at Melanie, and I'm like, Melanie, guess what? You lost. I won. I'm the fastest. And Melanie looks at me and she goes, you moron. There are three heats. We're not even in the fastest heat. The whole other half of the class is all faster than you. You're only the fastest slow kid. <laughs> and I remember I got my reality check. That's what Paul does. Paul goes, we got a bunch of people who think this is all about themselves to themselves. They're the most important person in the world. And he goes, guess what? You were saved by grace, by the blood of Jesus Christ. You were gifted with the Spirit. You were gifted to serve. You are not here to be served. You are here to serve. And he offers them a reality check that they desperately need because the body of Christ is not about individuals. It's about others. Which is the second thing Paul desperately wants us to know is that we belong we belong, we find our fit, we belong when we see ourselves as one, not one. We belong when we see ourselves as one corporately, not one individually. We belong when we understand that the body of Christ, that we fit in as a piece in the puzzle, more that the puzzle being finished is more important than my piece. We belong as one, not one, and the best experience in Christianity will always come from a corporate experience, not an individual experience which is where we get to the hard work. Which is where if we were to take a Susquehanna Valley Church photo, if it were to be a unified photo, every one of us would not be standing here in nice church clothes. We'd be standing out here in our work clothes like we just got done doing something that took an effort because it takes an effort to forgive somebody. It takes an effort to overlook quirks and personalities that rub you the wrong way. It takes an effort to have time in your schedule to be available to other people, to pray with them, to become spiritual with them. It takes an effort to get there. And it takes an effort of forgiveness. It takes an effort of flexibility. It takes an effort of availability. We say the body of Christ 
It's where I fit in. And you know what? I don't care about what the world says of me. He says, be transformed in the way that you think of yourselves. Not according to the pattern of the world, because the pattern of the world says become one with the business world. It says to become one with the academic world. To become one with the athletic world. And Paul comes along and says, be one with the Christ world. With the church. With the body of Christ, where we see ourselves as one in the church more than we see ourselves as one in anything else in our existence. Because at the end of the day, what he says, what he speaks about, is a body where each piece has a role. You know what I love about my father-in-law? Well, I love a lot about him, but there's one, one, one moment towards the beginning of my relationship with Corinne where I was like, I like this guy. See, her family was a puzzle family, and her dad just to mess with people. You know what he'd do? He'd walk up when they weren't looking, and he'd take a piece and put it in his pocket. It's like, I like this guy. Because they get to the end of the puzzle, and then everybody's like, oh, no, there's a missing piece. Did you ever have that, that feeling where maybe it wasn't a father-in-law? Maybe it's just there was one less piece in the box. Or maybe the dog ate it, or maybe a kid ate it, or maybe Pastor Matt ate it. I don't know. But it's not there, and it should be there. And then all that work, you're looking at it, and you're like, it's just not complete. Paul writes Romans 12, and he says, don't be the missing piece. Be the found piece. Be the piece that said, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to put in the effort that it takes for unity. I'm going to come with the availability. I'm going to come with the flexibility. I'm going to come with the commitment to say this is about the body of Christ. I have a role. He made me the way that he made me. Be the found piece, not the missing piece. That's, that's what causes celebration is when we, find, when we find our fit, when we take that risk to find out, God, how have you made me uniquely great to love others? He doesn't leave room for maybes. If, if you read Romans 12, 3, 3, if you're in a community group, we got some questions that will go out later this week for you to talk about. But man, I, I love reading 3 through 8 from this perspective where you look at how certain he is that if you've been gifted, then you serve. If you've been gifted, then you serve. Because he says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If your gift is teaching, then teach. If your gift is encouragement, then. If, then. If, then. If, then. If you're a piece in the puzzle, you find your fit. The implication is that the logical result is simply because you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have the Spirit of God, then if then we use our gifts to build the church through the love that God has called us to show. See, church isn't about one guy who stands up here and talks. Church is about a team of people who, who work on the soundboard, who volunteer with the, the teens on, on a Thursday night, who help out with the kids around the corner. Church is about people who are willing to help make meals for those who are in need, just again and again, to help park. Church is about the body where we fit together. And you know what? I, just, I need to give a shout out to the group of ladies that has been meeting here outside praying for this church since the beginning of the pandemic. We were talking about that. Yeah, let, you know what? We don't, we, let's just celebrate what God has done through them. Connor and I were talking about this, and he blew my mind. Connor goes, who knows what God has done through this church during the pandemic because of those ladies out there praying? I love it. When you find your fit and you serve in the body of Christ, it is powerful and it is beautiful, and God does some incredible stuff through it. I, I, I want to kind of wrap up with, with this thought. You fit where you belong. You fit where you belong, where you choose to belong, where you make yourself belong. You fit where you do the work of unity to belong. 
A couple years ago, I had the privilege of doing some marriage counseling with a, with a couple that I got to know. It was pre-marriage counseling. Uh, actually, it wasn't even pre-marriage counseling. It was just counseling. They were living together for about seven years, and, and they never felt like they should get married. They always felt like it was better to just have the option to walk away. They had been burned in previous relationships again and again. Super sweet people. I love them to death. And I remember talking with them and, and talking with them and saying, look, I love you, but your very effort to protect yourself is the very reason that you're in counseling every week with me. Because of the fact that you keep having one foot out of this relationship is the very reason because deep down each one of you knows that you could leave if it gets too tough. But what, what has to happen is too tough needs to happen so you can do the work that is foundational for unity to show up when it is too tough. You can't do marriage and have one foot out the door. You can't do a relationship with that that way. That's why God says if, if you're going to get married, then get married. This, this is, that's his heart for you. Man, this, this, is, this is the idea that you look at this and say, the nature of this relationship means that I'm both feet in. I can't do this with one foot out or it will never be what God wants me to do. Even those of us who are married, even those of us who are married, you have a tendency to once in a while to put one foot out and not be all in. You need both, foot in, both feet in for this to be what God wants. The church is a lot like that. If you've got one foot out, it will never belong the way that you want it to be because the very nature of the things that you've got to work through to resolve, to love, to forgive, to unify yourself through, that effort, that photo of you with hard work written all over your face, that's what it takes to belong. You know what, you know what I love? You know why I love that? You know why I can stand up here freely and say that? Because we have a God who was two feet in. As we look at and move towards communion, you can go ahead and get your cups of communion out. Now, I just want you to reflect on how invested Jesus Christ was into making this all happen. He wasn't one foot in. He wasn't, he wasn't you know what, I'm going to get some people in life who are going to follow after me. But, but when it costs me, now th this is on them. They've got to make this work. Jesus wasn't the God who was sitting there saying, am I getting what I want? He said, are we getting what we need? And so I understand these are a little bit differently difficult. You got a little plastic layer on the top there um, that I'm even having trouble. There we go. Um, you got to pull that off. And if you could just take that, take the top off so you got the bread and, and we'll take it together. I love that we are doing communion. This stuff was back ordered for like 10 weeks. Deb went on and she's like, we got to be ready. We got to be ready. And so we got it. See, I mentioned that unity is always a challenge when there isn't uniformity. Right here is where we find our uniformity. Because everybody's sitting in here, every soul here in the parking lot, at home, in your car, you needed the body of God himself to be broken for you. You needed that. And so every effort that takes us to bring forward and find our fit in the puzzle is worth it because of the effort that Jesus Christ displayed on the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says this, The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
you could open up the lower half then. And Jesus said, this is the cup. This, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. God, I praise you and I ask that this morning that you would have within our hearts a sense of unity through your cross and through your resurrection. Let it show forth in our service of you. We love you and praise you in your name. Amen.